Yeah. All right. Man, hey, you guys can you guys can grab your seats. Let me start my time clock that I ignore. There we go. All right. No, I watch it and ignore it. So, hey, hey, you know, uh, uh, last night as I began going over my sermon again, and I was praying and thinking about this awesome conversation that I get to have. And, and as I prayed, an old hymn popped into my head. It was written in 1866 by Catherine Hankey. Um, she was a missionary in Africa, and she actually wrote this when she was seriously ill to the point of death. Now, she recovered, but she, she wrote this hymn that, that you guys maybe heard, and it just came to my mind as I'm thinking about this conversation that I get to have today. Here's some of the words of, of that classic hymn. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true, it satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story. It did so much for me, and that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. I love to tell the story, for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story. It's probably one of my favorite lines. I love to tell the story for those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Brothers and sisters, I love to tell the story. In the beginning, God, the one who is and was and is to come, created everything. He created galaxies, billions of them, stars, trillions. And he created our planet and he filled it with breathtaking beauty. Sunrises, sunsets, oceans, mountains, rivers, streams, forests, snowfall. I mean, what an incredibly beautiful planet that we get to call home. This past Thursday night around 9.30, I was walking over to lock up the youth center. Uh, we have an adult autism group that meets there once a, once a month, and they called me and said they were done, and I was walking over. And I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to put my beats on, and I'm going to listen to Bethel Live, no longer a slave to fear, and I'm walking over here, and you know, and when I'm listening to music and I'm by myself, I think I actually have rhythm, right? About the only time, because literally I'm in the youth center and I'm, I'm I, maybe you even call it dancing. I don't know what I was doing, man. But I'm just, I'm loving it and I'm outside and I look up and the, the sky was just so clear. And, and I could see so many stars. And I'm thinking, what an incredibly beautiful world that my Heavenly Father created. And listen, not, not only did God fill this planet with breathtaking beauty, but but he filled it with life. I mean, everywhere you look, there's life, plants, insects, animals, birds, fish. Now, understand it. If we were to put a shovel to the ground and take that dirt and put it under a microscope, it would be teeming with life. And on day six, God created man and woman, the crown of his creation, the very reason why everything came into existence in the first place. Sunrises, sunsets, you know, Niagara Falls, trillions of stars lighting up the sky, I'm the reason. I'm the reason that God created that. And you're the reason that those things came into existence. And, and God created man and woman in his own image and likeness, placing them in a garden paradise where they had an up-close, personal, and intimate relationship with God. And listen, as crazy as it sounds, God would literally take walks with them in the cool of the morning. That would be so awesome. I mean, just imagine what it would have been like living in a world like that, a world untainted by sin, decay, and corruption. 
Imagine experiencing intimacy with God like that. Yes, things were good. They were very good, but unfortunately, they did not stay very good for very long. You see, even before Adam and Eve made it out of the even before Adam and Eve made it out of the third chapter of God's 1,189 chapter story, they screwed up everything, not only for themselves, but for us as well. They disobeyed God, they took that bite, and because of their choice, because of their sin, death and separation invaded and corrupted God's perfect world. Now, just recently in our Faith Comes From Hearing, our, our, our first 90 that we're doing, and Remember I said I would constantly abuse and dog you about this, and, and I, I am. It's, only, it's 14 days into it, and what this is, we're reading a chapter every day for the first 90 days. It's still not too late to do it. We got sheets at the, as you leave here. You can go online and do that. We're reading Jesus, Paul, David, and Solomon's greatest hits. There's been some incredible, powerful stuff we've been reading, and recently we read Romans 5. The other part of the first 90 is that you're supposed to do your gratitude two days, right? Every day. Two things you're grateful for. And I know we can start our days, you know, all the things we're ungrateful for, right? And, and, and moan about everything that's terrible, but it really helps to focus on what we're grateful for. Right? Like the day I was grateful that, for that I was alive, that God woke me up and gave me another day. I, I was grateful for the fact I was catching up in my reading and, and I, I read that God is for me. It's like, I'm pretty grateful that God is, is for me. I want to encourage you to do that. If you use Twitter, you know, uh, if you use the hashtag, um, the, the first 90, like, no one really is using that except me right now, <laughs> you, know? And, and, you know, so we, we kind of own that right now. And so if you read something in the Bible or if you wonder your gratitude to a days, let, let's start a really great Twitter feed of us, hey, here's what I read, hey, I read this in, in the Bible, hey, here's what I'm grateful for, and I think it'll make the first 90 really powerful. Um, but again, we read Romans 5, and Paul talks about this very thing about Adam's sin. He says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. But listen, that's only part of the story. You see, long before the, the first couple sunk their teeth into that forbidden fruit, God already had a plan. He already had a plan to set things right. He already had a plan to remove the distance. He already had a plan to give death, sin, and separation a once and for all crushing, defeating, lethal blow. Even before they fell and even before you and I fall, God already had a plan to unleash his amazing grace. Paul continues in Romans 5. There is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. Amen. For the end of this one man, Adam brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, Jesus Christ. But even greater is what? Even greater is God's wonderful grace. Okay, a quick commercial. Next Sunday, we're going to have our first series of the year 2016. Um, I think it's the exact series God wants us to talk about. The series is entitled, Grace is Greater Than... Dot, dot. I love dot, dot, dot. You know, you, you, Sonia gets my notes to make talking points. I got dot, there's dot, dot, dots everywhere. I mean... Here, dot, dot, everywhere, dot, dot, oh, okay, okay, I love dot, dots, right, and, and they're just cool, uh, but next week, we're going to, it's going to be grace is greater than our mistakes. Got any mistakes? That's okay, because grace is greater. Paul continues in Romans 5, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God 
even though, oh man, I love that, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live and triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Amen? Amen. You know, like, like like I've said many, many, many times before, since the dawn of creation, the overriding theme of human history has been God's passionate pursuit of a prodigal people. It has been the story of a loving and just God doing whatever it takes to bring, bring people back to himself, and it took a whole lot to make that happen. Get it? Good. And, and listen, that, that plan to ensure that his passionate pursuit of his prodigal people would one day reach his desired end game, it was a three-phase plan. And phase one was the nation of Israel. I understand through Abraham, God built a nation that would begin to show the world what the one true God was like. A nation that was to be different than the world, a nation that was to live different than the rest of the world. And, and for 2,000 years, uh, God shapes and prepares this nation for the coming of the Messiah, for the coming of the Christ, uh, by giving them his law, his word, his commands, his decrees on how to live, uh, by building them a temple, a place where his presence would dwell and he could meet them, by instituting a sacrificial system by which a sinful man could could. Uh, approach a holy God, by teaching them about holiness, about sin, by teaching them about how obedience leads to God's favor and God's blessings and how disobedience uh, and chasing after things other than God has some pretty rough, often tragic, and negative consequences. So for 2,000 years, God tries to shape this nation. And let me tell you, it, 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 it was not an easy task. I mean, nothing seemed to work for God's people. He gave them the law, but they didn't obey it. He gave them the temple, but they forgot whose house it was. Therefore, they often neglected it or they held it in contempt. He gave them kings, and the kings were proud and disobedient. He he sent his prophets with words of encouragement and telling them to return to him, but they did not listen to the prophets, and many times they killed the prophets. Understand, as you look at, at this phase of God's plan, there doesn't seem to be much hope for these people. And listen, the truth is, whenever you spend time in this phase, in this part of the Bible, eventually it, the Old Testament, it just kind of wears you out. And you know what? That's exactly the point. You see, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, we just get tired of it. It doesn't work. In a way, way, that was its real intention because everything, everything, it was all designed, it was all designed to point to Jesus as our only Savior as the only one who can redeem us. Which brings us to phase two of God's plan of setting things right between himself and his people, between you and I. Phase two, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, who lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death, a substitutionary death, which means Jesus died in our place. He died in my place, and he died in your place. Turn to the person to your right and left and tell them he died in your place. He died in your place. Brothers and sisters, we must never forget, we must never forget that God poured out his sin-hating wrath on Jesus so that he could pour out his soul-laving grace, soul-loving grace on us, on me and on you. 
God poured out his sin-hating wrath on Jesus so that he could pour out his soul-loving grace on us, on me and on you. Get it? Good. I understand at the cross, God's passionate pursuit of his prodigal people reached all its fullness, which brings us to phase three, the final phase, our phase, the church, his body, his bride, his kingdom, an unstoppable force, the hope of the world. Brothers and sisters, we are the church. Phase three in God's redemptive story. Amen? Amen. Welcome to week three of the year 2016. And a conversation I'm calling, this is a football doing our job. And, and let me make something perfectly clear. My, my goal today, January the 17th, 2016, is that when we walk out those doors in a few minutes, that we will be, that we will be beyond stoked up about what we get to be a part of, the church of the living God. Bottom line, if you're already a part of it, I want you to, be, to leave more fired up about who God has called you to be and what God has called you to do than ever before. Get it? Good. And if you're not a part of it, my hope is that you will consider surrendering your life to Jesus and to the church he established that has been changing the world and lives for 2,000 years. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you so, so much. And you love us so, so much more. And God, I pray that we will love to tell the story and love to hear the story and love to spread the story and love to have the story change and shape us into who you want us to be. And God, I pray that today that you will have your way. Holy Spirit, I pray you move like you moved in the early church and that we leave here so excited about what we get to be a part of, so excited that you've entrusted your plan to us. So excited that you chose us, that you called us, and that you gave us right standing with you, and that you gave us your glory, and that, and that nothing, nothing can be against us because that you are for us. And so God, just help me to, God, I want to bring honor to your name today and to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 2,000 years ago, a movement was born. A movement made up of everyday people who were passionate about the message of Jesus. A movement of self-denying, spirit-empowered disciples of Jesus who were not known for a casual association with Christ and his church, but instead were known for complete and total abandonment to Christ and his cause. A movement that, that unleashed, a movement that unleashed a, a new brand of joy, of love and truth and grace and freedom that changed the world forever. And though they had to face untold trials and unthinkable persecution, as Paul himself said in Acts chapter 14, we must go through, we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They also experienced an unimaginable and an inexpressible joy as they joined Jesus in the advancement of his kingdom. And it all began when a band of 12 guys said yes to a life-changing invitation from Jesus. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Question. Caught any fish lately? And in the days to come, uh, these men watched Jesus and they listened to him and they learned from Jesus how to love, how to live, and how to serve others in, in the way that, that pointed to him and that brought glory to God. And, and then that moment came when they saw Jesus, their master, their Lord, their Savior, their friend, die on the cross for their sins, only to rise again from the dead three days later. And shortly after this, Jesus, whose mission on earth was now complete, 
Jesus, who had finished the work the Father had given him to do, he gathered his guys on the mountainside and gave them and, and gave, gave, gave to all who would follow in their footsteps, gave them their marching orders, gave them their commission, gave them their purpose for, life, purpose for living. He said this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's a lot of authority, right? Like sometimes I think in my house I have some authority. Yeah, you know. I used to think my, my bedroom used to be my authority. Now my kids invaded all the time. Older kids, like that was you didn't come into my bedroom, right? You know, I got one spot. You got to crush Miss Center, right? You know, we think we have authority here. Maybe you think you have authority in your job, right? Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, like like all authority. You know, the, the stars, right? They bow to His command, right? The sun, everything. He has all authority in heaven and earth. Uh, therefore, we should listen to him. He's the boss. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You'll see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And as you do these things, as you go, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And then Jesus left them returning to the Father, and they stayed in Jerusalem, meeting and praying with a group of about 120 people, waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall on them with power. And and true to his promise, 10 days later, Jesus sent his Spirit, and immediately they began proclaiming the gospel. The good news of great joy that is for all the people. The good news of peace to those on whom God's favor rests. And in the days, weeks, months, and, and years that followed, they scattered from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, forming a community of believers that turned the world upside down, literally bringing down the Roman Empire without raising a shield or lifting a sword. I understand. This church, these people, were radically devoted to God and his word. Whatever God told them to do, they did. Whatever God told them to stop doing, they stopped doing. Wherever God told them to go, they went. And when the government told them to stop talking about Jesus or die, they literally chose death and thousands died. This church, these people loved each other in radical kinds of ways. They took off their masks and they shared their lives with one another, loving one another, caring for one another, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, confessing to one another. They laughed and cried and prayed and sang and served together in authentic Christian community. Those who had more shared with those who had less until socioeconomic barriers just melted away. And people related to one another in ways that, that, bridge, that bridge racial and gender chasms and celebrated cultural differences. Acts 2 tells us that this community of believers, that, that, that this church offered unbelievers a, 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 a view of life that literally took their breath away. I mean, it was so bold, so creative, so courageous, so dynamic that they could not resist. And Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says that God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Yes, a movement was born 2,000 years ago, made up of everyday people empowered by the Spirit who were passionate about the message of Jesus. A a movement that created ripples and waves that are still crashing against our shoreline 2,000 years later. And and listen, when you you read the book of Acts that records the the first 30-plus years of the church, it doesn't take long for you to see that to realize that it was a crazy, difficult, inconvenient, uncomfortable, wild, insane, uphill, fruitful ride. I mean, we see a church just exploding in growth in the face of severe persecution that began with the stoning of Stephen, that ended with Paul in jail in Rome, waiting for his head to be taken off, with thousands of men and women in between who suffered untold and unknown hardships. Yeah, question, why? 
Why would they do it? Why would they keep going? I mean, why when, when, it, why when it got hard? Why, why, didn't they just, why didn't they just throw up their hands and throw in the towel and just quit? Well, why were they so crazy passionate about the church and the spread of the gospel? Brothers and sisters, the first century Jesus followers were crazy passionate about the church and the spread of the gospel because Jesus is alive and the gospel is true. And they, accepted his, and they had accepted his invitation to follow him. Understand, for the early church, the resurrection, it was a game changer. It literally changed everything. Because if Jesus was alive, and he was, then it meant that Jesus was who he said he was, and it meant that Jesus did what he said he did. If Jesus was alive, it meant that their past was forgiven. It meant that their future in heaven was guaranteed by the cross and the blood of Christ. And it meant that their present, no matter what they were facing, no matter who they were, was filled with unbelievable power, purpose, and meaning. Therefore, to these first century followers, nothing was more important and nothing was more motivating than telling lost people about freedom from guilt and shame. And nothing was more important to them than telling lost people about having a real and lasting hope, about overcoming their fears, about experiencing peace rather than anxiety, uh, about being fully known and yet fully accepted in love, about having a hope beyond this life, about experiencing life in all its fullness. Now, nothing was more important or motivating to them than telling people, lost people, how they could become a, a better person, a better husband, a better wife, a, 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 better, a better child, a, a better work person, a better man, a better woman, not, not by their own power, but by the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. And nothing was more motivating and important to them than telling people that they had a strength that is greater than they are, that was available to them all the time, and telling lost people that, that there was a reason and purpose behind all the pain, all the sorrow, and all the hardship. Nothing was more important to them or more motivating, more motivating to them that t- than to tell lost people that they could be a part of something that gives hope to the hopeless, that gives food to the hungry, that gives freedom to the captives, belonging to the lonely, acceptance to the outcast, something that changes the world and not only makes a difference in people's lives here and now, but forevermore. Amen? And listen, when it, when, it, when it comes to the gospel, to the old, old, old story of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love, I'm convinced of two things. Number one, that nothing is more important on the faces of the earth than the mission of Christ. And the Apostle Paul is my backup. I tell you, when you call for backup and the Apostle Paul shows up, you're in good hands. And Paul says this, for what I receive, I pass on to you as the first importance that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. Paul says the most important thing, the thing of first first importance is that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, and that Jesus rose again. And and, and, and as as I look across this planet, I cannot see or think of anything that compares to the church and the spread of the gospel. Can you? I mean, if, if you know of something more important than that, more enduring than that, let me know. Let us know. We will sell this building and close up shop tomorrow, and we will join that movement. 
Brothers and sisters, nothing, nothing compares to the church. Nothing, nothing is more important than the church and the spread of the gospel. Nothing. I love this quote by Bill Hybels. I've probably quoted it more than Bill Hybels has quoted it. This man loves the church. When he talks to the church, he, tears just fall from his eyes. He says there's nothing like the local church. When it's working right, its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources to those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, and we, all we have to do is look at the news, right? Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No organization on earth is like the church. Nothing comes even close. Yes, I'm convinced that there's nothing more important than the church and the mission of Christ. And I'm also convinced, number two, that no individual Jesus follower and no church will just accidentally fall into living their lives on mission. Why? Because there's just too many distractions. Why? Because there are too many lesser things that are vying for and often that do get our attention. Why? Because the urgent will, if we allow it, always calls us to neglect what is most important. Why? Because we have a very real enemy who, like in the days of Nehemiah, will do anything he can to, to stop us from doing this work we have been called to do. You may recall the story of Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah comes on the scene. He's in Persia. Uh, the walls in Jerusalem have been down for 150 years. Not a good thing. No walls means bad people can come in and do bad things to you. Nehemiah finds out about it. He goes back to Jerusalem. He rallies the people, and within, they're down for 150 years. Within 50 days, he almost has the walls rebuilt. But guess who didn't like it? Well, his enemies did not like that. We read in Nehemiah chapter 6, Now when Sinbalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not yet set up the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Oh, no, I am not going to Oh, no, because I am doing a great work here on the wall. And... and Maple Grove, that is what our great dragon, the enemy, wants to do to every church. He, he, he wants to get us to come off the wall. He wants to get us to come off the wall and the good work of the spread of the gospel and the advancement of Jesus' kingdom. You see, he, he, he doesn't care how many butts are in our seats, how big how many square footage is in our building, how much money we put in the plate, how pretty we sing if we are not doing our mission, if we're not rescuing people who are lost. Amen? He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He wants to get us off mission. Like I said, the individual, Jesus follower, no church will accidentally fall into living their life on mission. And that is why we're having this conversation today, the third Sunday of the year 2016. You know, the conversation, this is a football doing our job. Get it? good. Now, Vince Lombardi is remembered as perhaps the greatest NFL coach of all time. In fact, the championship trophy 
is named after Vince Lombardi. Lombardi was also known as a great motivator. His speech, What It Takes to Be a Winner, is still used in sports and business today. Here's just a, a quote from that. He says, winning is not a sometime thing. It is an all-the-time thing. <laughs> you don't win once in a while. You don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning is a habit. Unfortunately, so is losing. He's also known for his toughness. In fact, rookies and veterans alike were known to fear him. And listen, every season, whether they won the Super Bowl or not, he would gather, the first day he would gather his players, and there he would give his famous, this is a football speech. Here's a summary of that speech from a book written by Bob Kimbrell. All the players knew at the first team meeting that the legendary coach would waste no time getting straight to the point. Many of the men were half Lombardi's age and twice his size, yet they openly feared and dreaded this encounter. The coach did not disappoint them. In fact, delivered his message in one of the great one-liners of all time. Football in hand, the coach walked in front of the room, took several seconds to look at those assembled in silence, held out the pigskin in front of them, and said, gentlemen, this is a football. After holding up the football as though they had never seen it before, he began to describe the importance of this football. And after he had done that, he took the team outside and he said, gentlemen, these are the outside boundary lines. And gentlemen, these are the end zone lines. And your objective is you want to take this ball and take this ball across your opponent's end zone while at the same time keeping them from crossing into your end zone. Every year, whether they won the Super Bowl or not, he would remind his team and stress the importance of fundamentals. Why? Because fundamentals matter. Why? Because fundamentals can be forgotten. Why? Because without fundamentals, we will not win the game. Maple Grove, this is the Bible. This book contains words that were literally breathed by God. Listen, that the same God who created the heavens and the earth, the same God who breathes out stars, breathed out the words in this book. That this book is alive and it's active. Uh, this book penetrates, dividing between joint and marrow. And this book judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's why many times we don't want to read this book, right? Because it, it lays us open and naked and bare. Uh, this book is useful for, for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, th this book is a, is a lamp for our feet, and, and a, it's a light for our path. Uh, uh, this book is a book like no other. Uh, uh, this book was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40-plus writers in three different languages, men living on three different continents, and yet you find one unified, compelling story. It's the most translated book. It's the most accurate book. It has more manuscript evidence than any book. It has fulfilled prophecy. It has, it has pre-scientific knowledge. Brothers and sisters, this is the Bible. It is God's Word, and, and it is to be the authority. This book is to be the authority in our church and in our lives. Uh, we say that it is our number one core value. And what that means for the Bible to be our authority, it, it means that whenever you and I find ourselves disagreeing with the Bible, the Bible says forgive those who hurt you, right? Pray for your enemies, bless them. <laughs> Bring your whole tithe to the storehouse. It says a lot of things in there. And you disagree with that? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And you disagree with that? Guess who's wrong? You. You're wrong. 
When the Bible's our authority, it, it means that we are, under the, we are under the Bible, not over the Bible. We don't tell the Bible what to say. You know, we live under the Bible. And any time we ignore or, or rebel against what is in here, what is in our playbook for life, uh, we are no longer under the Bible. Get it? Good. Maple Grove, this is the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the gospel. You, you see, at, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But, but, but God demonstrated his own love for us, for me, and for you, for the person to your right and left. For God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Maple Grove, this is the gospel. That God so loved the world. That God gave his one and only son. This is the gospel. That, that, that even, even when we were still powerless, even when we were utterly helpless, even when we were God's enemies, even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? Amen. And in Acts chapter 2.38, yeah, um, we, we see people for the very first time hearing and believing and responding to the gospel message about who Jesus is and God's love for the world. And, and after Peter preached that, that powerful gospel message in Acts chapter 2, and after the people said, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Peter replied, here's what you do, here's what you do, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maple Grove, this is our vision. If anyone is in Christ, he, he, I almost fumbled it. I fumbled our vision, right? That can happen, right? That's why we're doing this, right? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is our vision as a church? What is the vision of any church? It's changed lives. Changed lives, that, that's the vision. That's why that's our vision statement, right? Following Christ and, and, and life-changing community. Uh, understand, changed lives, that's our end zone. That's our end zone. That's our touchdown. When people's lives are changed, when people go from being bitter to better, when people go from being hopeless to having hope, when they go from being anxious to having peace, when they go from being lost uh, to being found, that, that's, that's our end zone. Changed lives is what we're about as a church. It's what every church is about. Uh, brothers and sisters, this is our mission. And, and, and really the, the mission Christ has for us can be defined in two statements that, that Jesus made. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and most important commandment. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and all the writings of the prophets, all. That's, that's a lot of stuff. All the law and the writings of the prophets depend on, on these two commands. Love God and love people. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I command you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Well, what is our mission? You know, we got a lot of, you know, active and ex-military people in there. We understand mission and the value of mission. What is our mission? Our, our mission is to seek the lost. 
Man, we're going, we, we, we are to go after, we're to look for, we're to seek the lost. And, 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 and why is this so important? Why should we go after them? So that they can be saved. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Okay, so we're to seek and save the lost to save them from what? Save them from what? Well, check out these very sobering words that, that are just 20 verses down from our, 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 one of our favorite verses, John 3.16. Check out, check out what, what, what God breathed through John the Baptist in John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Let that sink in. Those who reject Jesus, those who do not surrender Jesus, will not see life. And God's wrath remains where? On them. You know, this week on my Facebook news feed, a, 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 a post by um, Franklin Grant came up. And, and, and uh, I think we have a picture of it. And this is part of it. And, and, you know, David Bowie recently passed away, and, and at some time he had made a statement, I don't know where I'm going from here, but I promise it won't be boring. And, and Franklin Graham was just saying how grateful he was to know where he's going, you know, to know that he accepted Christ when he was 12 and to know that he is going to spend eternity with God. And, and he, he went on to say that there are two destinations when people die. It's either heaven or hell. And, and, and I was watching this thing light up, man. I mean, it, you know, likes were happening instantly and new comments. And, and some people were going, amen, preach it, Franklin. Others were, you judgmental pig, right? I mean, it, it got pretty harsh and, and, and pretty brutal. You know, like, like what happens when you die? Well, I think if God were to, to post on that, our final authority, you know, here's what, here's what God would say about when people die. He said through Paul in 2 Thessalonians, When the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, he will come with his mighty angels in flame and fire. Bringing judgment on those who don't know God and those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. I've, I've known people and have loved ones that did not choose Jesus. I have a close family member who's not choosing Jesus right now. And I find that very sobering. Brothers and sisters, our job, the good work that we are to do, the wall that we must never come off, the wall that we must never allow ourselves to be distracted from is seeking and saving the law so that this punishment with eternal destruction forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power will not be how their story ends. Amen? Amen. I mean, this is our mission, to seek and save the lost and to make disciples. The word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament. The word Christian is found three times. It was first introduced to refer precisely to disciples. The New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples of Jesus Christ. I love this last part by Dallas Willard of this quote. 
Most problems in contemporary churches can be explained by the fact that members have not yet decided to follow Jesus. Woo! Stepping on some toes there, isn't he? Making disciples. See, see making disciples is about helping people grow up in their faith. Now, I, 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 have, I have five children. Uh, my, my oldest will soon be 32. I was seven. You know, it's one of those miracles. You know, and, 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 and my youngest is, is 10. And through the years, I got to watch them learn how to walk and how to talk, how to run, go to school for the first time, grow up and leave home and go off to college, get married and move far away from me and know I'm not bitter, you know. And, 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 and so it was always with a little bit of sadness, right? You know, you know, yet you're glad to get out of the diapers and holding them when they're afraid, but there's a little bit of sadness, right, as they grow. But it beats the alternative, right, that, that, if, that if they didn't grow up. And, and see, discipleship is all about helping people grow up in their faith. And, and at Maple Grove, we have this diagram that we tried to use to describe what that looks like, you know, and, and how we know where we're at on that. And it's just this, this simple diagram. And we say that it's a life lived on mission, right? You know, it, 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 it begins with belong, right? You belong to Christ, you surrender him, and you belong to the church. You know, it deepens as you grow in your faith, as you develop habits that help you grow reading your Bible, praying, having a quiet time, being in a small group or community, bringing your tithe to the church. And, 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 and then it expresses itself through serve, right? As you serve the church with your talents and abilities, helping the church to be stronger. And, and it unleashes the power of God and the, and the favor of God through engage as we engage our world by showing our faith and demonstrating our faith. What is our mission? To make disciples, to, to seek and save the lost, and to show compassion when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, when we see the crowds and we look out in the world, there, there, there are people who are harassed, aren't they? And there are people who are helpless. And God wants us to have compassion. I got to tell you, compassion isn't always convenient. <laughs> compassion has a cost. And I can be honest, sometimes when God asks me to be compassionate, it's things I don't necessarily want to do. <laughs> I don't want to do it. If compassion was easy, everybody would be doing it, Right? But God wants to see, yeah, he says, you know what, there's people out there that they're harassed, and they don't have a shepherd. They don't have somebody to help them. No one showed them how to do things the right way. Are you just going to point a finger at and judge them, or are you going to come alongside them and help them? That's compassion. It's seeing a need and doing something about it. We have a, a middle school student named um, Juliana Angadi, and, and, and she has a passion. You know, um, she went to, our, our youth go to Christian youth conferences, and and the middle schoolers go to something called Mix, and uh, Christ in Youth is all about having kids be kingdom workers, and, and, and now, not waiting till you graduate high school or college, be a kingdom worker now, and, and she became like, hey, I have food all the time, and some people don't have food, and, and she started her own little thing called Two Cans for Christ, you know, hey, asking people, hey, you go to the grocery store, pick up a couple items for Jesus that people can use, and just this week, you know, 65 pounds worth of food we're taking to a food bank, and I applaud Juliana. You know, this, Maple Grove, this is the Bible. This is the gospel. This is our vision. This is our, our, our mission, this, to seek and save the lost, to make disciples, and to show compassion. And, 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 and if I could get, like, like really kind of personal here, last server said, if I could be honest with you, but that means I was dishonest the whole time. So it's like we make these comments. But, you know, I, I, I want to, like, get real uncomfortable with you and make you uncomfortable, make me uncomfortable. 
Um, you know, I, I, I've been in church for 36 years. I've been in some kind of leadership for 30 years, becoming a deacon when I was a new construction submarine in Newport News around 1985. Um, yeah, you think I'd be smarter at this by now. I get it. Uh, me too. And, and, and yeah, I've, been, I've, I've been a member of five churches because I was in the military moving around, and I, I have been a pastor of five churches. And, and, and during those times, I, I've seen people in church get upset about a lot of things. And, and sometimes they have a right to get upset, right? Because sometimes churches are made up of people, leaders are people, and sometimes we just do dumb and stupid things and we make mistakes, right? I, I remember being upset at a church one time um, as a member uh, because they were shutting down the preschool, right? And I stormed, and I, I, I stormed into the pastor's office. And, you know, I don't know if my goals were noble. I think it was motivated by the fact that my wife worked in preschool and that she no longer had a job, you know? Um, but but, but I, I got to be honest, and, you know, I, I've never, I've never and, and had people say, hey, you know, I'm angry and upset because we're not just saving enough people. I, I'm not seeing people be baptized. I'm, I, I'm not seeing lost people be found. What are we going to do, church? I, you know what? We need to have some kind of meeting because I, I don't see people growing their faith. Their, their lives aren't being changed. They're, they're, they're still the same. And, and, and there's a world out there, church, that needs us. And, and, and there's, there's hurting people. There's people in addictions. There, there's single moms. There's, there's homeless people. There's all kinds of needs out there. And, and, and we're just kind of coming in our building. Are we going to ever go out and do something? I've never. I, now, I've been a part of church, so I've never led those meetings. But, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying there's nothing more important, amen? There's nothing more important than lost people being found. Here's the final point in your notes, and it's not that long. This, Maple Grove, this is our time. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now. Maple Grove, this is our time. Now, now I think a lot of you know, <laughs> that I am a New England Patriots fan, you know, and, 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 and I know that you may not like them and you may even hate them like I hate the Steelers and I hate the New York Yankees, and, and in sports you're allowed to hate because it's, it's okay. It's in Acts chapter 29. It says that <laughs> you're allowed to hate opposing sports teams that are very good and beat your team, and, and, and I just found a good brother. I saw his jacket on, and I'm very, very kind of saddened by the Bronco jacket I see in here, <laughs> you know, uh, but I still love him. Uh, you know, but, uh, but even if you do not like the New England Patriots, I think you may, have, you may like their motto that they have. This is, this is their motto. Do your job. Do your job. And you see, if everybody in the field would just do their job, you see, it, go out and do your job. Don't worry if Brady's doing his job, if Gronk's doing his job, if Edelman's doing his job, if Chandler Jones is doing his job, if, if Amadella's doing his job. No, you go out and you do your job. And you, you think if everybody did their job, that, that that would lead to more victories than defeats. Can I say New England Patriots? No, I'll move on. All right, okay, get, get rid of that, that picture if you don't mind because that's upsetting to a lot of people. Um, <laughs> I thought my wife would kill me for service for even putting that up there. Um, and, 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 but, 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 but here's the deal, here's the deal. And, and, and please hear my heart in this. Um, what if in 2016 we did our job? What if in 2016... I did my job. What if in 2016 you did your job? What if instead of focusing on who's not doing their job and who should be doing their job, our focus was, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do, do my job. 
And, and, and so what I kind of like you guys to do is to, you know, to imagine that Jesus is here. And, well, he is, but we can't see him. And he's here, and, 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 and that Jesus is kind of doing a Vince Lombardi thing, right? He's looking at everybody in this room. You know, and he's looking at me because I'm out there with you too. And here's a picture of Jesus. See, it's, it's, you know, and, and I got to tell you, look at that picture as I talk. I, you, know, I, you know, I left the Navy, went to Bible college because of a picture of Jesus. I'm at a conference with students in 1987 just as a sponsor. Innocently wanted to finish up my career in the Navy. And there's a picture of Jesus that haunted me the entire time. Just stared at me. Everywhere I walked, he was looking at me. And before I left that, 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 that middle school conference, I decided to leave the Navy and to go to Bible college, right? So, you know, I mean, I know that's not really what he looks like, but just imagine it's him. And I'm going to imagine him talking to me. I'm just going to turn around, and I'm going to let Jesus talk to me, and, and maybe he'll, he'll, he'll talk to you as well. Steve, what, what, if in, what if in 2016 you just did your job? See, what if you developed a, a, a passion for lost people that caused you to go out and, and share your faith like never before? See, what, what, if, in, what, what, if, in, what if in 2016 you would, you would make disciples? What, what if you would, first of all, make a disciple of you? If you would really grow in your faith and not just talk about things, but have those things become a part of your life and and Steve, what if you in 2016 would help someone else grow in their faith? And Steve, what if, what if in 2016 you, you, you would do your job and you would show compassion and you would look for ways that, that you could do things? And I know, Steve, some of the things I may ask you to do are going to be uncomfortable and you're not, you're not going to want to do those things. And you're going to find every excuse in the world. Uh, but Steve, when, when you see someone who is harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd, Steve, would you... Would you show compassion? And Steve, in 2016, would you, would you not worry about other people and their job and just focus on the job that I gave you? Steve, the job that one day you will stand before me and give an account of? Steve, when you stand before me, I, I won't ask, if, ask you about if Jordan did his job, if Laurie did his job, if Todd Cabell did his job. Steve, I will look in the eye and I would say, Steve, did you do your job? And Steve, what if in 2016, you made it, you made it all about me and who I am and what I called you to do? Maple Grove, this is the Bible. This is the gospel. This is our vision. This is our mission. This is our time. Do your job. Do your job. Do your job. Amen? Amen. And maybe you're here today and you've, you've never surrendered to Jesus. And if you want to come up forward and talk about that, we can do that. And maybe you just had that one final step and surrender to Jesus. Maybe the day is the day that you get buried with Christ in the waters of baptism. If you haven't done that, we can do that today. It's always nice and warm every Sunday. Would you guys stand? Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you so very much. And, and God, help us, Lord. It's so easy for me, God, to get distracted. It's so easy for me to, to not do my job, to, to get off the wall. And, and God, I know that one day I, I will stand before you and you will look me right in the eye and it'll just be me and you. 
And you will ask me that what I did with the opportunities I had to help lost people find you. And they may be, may be in my neighborhood. They, they may be the person I, I see at Food Line at the checkout. They, 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 they may be in my own family. And God, I, I pray that you'll just motivate me, Lord, to just do my job, to, to not focus on anything other than just doing what you've called me to do. And God, I pray that you would be with us as a church. And God, that our passion will be for lost people, people who do not know you, people who need you. God, I, I pray that, that we will not come off the wall of spreading the gospel and the good news. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And God, I pray that as we sing this song, you know, about the fact that, you know, for us, we want it to be, you know, to live as Christ. May that be our anthem. May that be our cry this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.